Blue lights are Mitch. Also, just so you're all aware, I had to use a different app to record this conversation. So hopefully I can tidy it up and make it sound as best I can. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is an insanely talented individual. For over four decades, he has graced our TV screens, radio. He has done lots of public speaking and is probably most well known for his magic shows and his stunt shows. He refers to himself as the world's skinniest magician. He has performed both nationally and internationally. Or perhaps you've seen him out and about in his cars, performing, doing variety bashes and working with charities, as I know this is an area close to his heart. My next guest has also been known for his pyrotechnic and daredevil skills in the iconic and extraordinary super suit that emphasizes his strikingly slim physique. His words, not mine. He has lived an extraordinarily life so far, full of many deserving accolades and awards, and he continues to do extraordinary things for his community, bringing smiles and laughter to everyone. Some shows you may have seen him on, on Australian television, and heard him on radio are including but not limited to ABCV's TV's Comedy Store, regular guest appearances on Young Talent Time, and appearances on the national TV show Ridgie Didge and on the Today Show. He has won countless charity and magician awards and continues to give generously to his community. But if you're like me and grew up in the Newcastle area, there is a very good chance you've crossed paths with this legend. I remember in the 90s he performed at a soccer presentation. I would have been no older than 10. My friends have said he's performed at his 21st birthday. Yes, he's talking to you, Matt. He's done plenty of charity fundraisers. Uh, he's done magic shows, as mentioned. And he said he's performed from, from ages 4 to 100 and uh, and probably even more. He, um, I wanted to bring this gentleman on because he's a living, breathing Newcastle icon and Newcastle culture is synonymous for knowing his name. Newcastle will always be home for me and it is a pleasure and a privilege to speak to this next guest. I could go on for hours stating this man's accolades but that'll be an episode in itself. Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode I'm speaking to the lovely and insanely talented Super Hubert. I hope you enjoy. It is a great pleasure that I'd love to introduce the insanely talented Super Hubert. How are you today, sir? All right. Yippee! Hello, everyone. Yippee! Good night, Mitch. Hello. <laughs> oh, gosh, that takes me back. <laughs> so, if you like me. Yeah, big doggy. <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> oh, God. So, I know that a lot of the people that will be listening to this, like myself, grew up in Newcastle and would know that iconic voice. <laughs> And continuing to make giggles four years into it. So how are you today? All right, good. That's good. So today, uh, as a, as we've been speaking about, we've had a few technical glitches, but I think we've got there in the end. So basically, this podcast is about people's uh, professional lives, their careers in a timeline sense. Sort of started uh, talking about like the genesis of your entertainment career, and we'll go through the, uh, the various decades of your performances and. Some of the uh, some of the, the highlights, if you will. But uh, first, just as a bit of an icebreaking tool, I like to get the guests to come on and have a bit of a light-hearted whinge wine sook. And I was just wondering, Super Hubert, would you like to join me in having a bitchy with Mitchie today? Yeah, all right. So um, I I always let the guests choose if they'd like to go first, or I can. It's just a an icebreaking tool. Just you, I used to have a, a bit of a giggle or whatever. Would you like oh, to go well. first, or I can? Well, not quite knowing what it's all about. If you go first, then I'll follow. Right, yeah. Basically, it's just a it's a it's a it's a chance to get something off your chest. And um, I just yeah, it's I, I, some of the guests I've had on previously come on, and uh, it could be something small as people who can't park properly, or you know, people that cut you off on the freeway. It could be anything. And um, I guess mine today isn't really that big of a deal. It's just a a, a 
people out there who uh, commit to plans, but then at the very end always bail out. I've got a few friends of mine who know exactly who they are. And um, I guess my gripe today is when you make plans, if you travel, so I live in Orange, if I travel, you know, five hours home um, to see someone or whatever, and then you're expecting to see them, and then they pull out of the plans last minute. It can be very frustrating, especially yeah. if you've gone all that way to see them. So, yeah, the idea of this section is just to have a, a light-hearted get something off your chest, and, yeah, it just it, 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 it helps me sort of relax a bit because I must admit I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a big deal for me. I, I, I've cherished your work since I was a kid. <laughs> but, um, oh my God, isn't that amazing? Because to me, it's just another phone call. And yeah. Because I've done so much in my life that, oh, well, I'm fascinated at that. Probably. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as I said, I, I've got some friends, as we as we'll talk, I've got some friends that have uh, shared some stories. And yeah, I, my um, my first. Well, earliest memory of you was, I think it was circa 97, 98. You come out to do a magic show at our soccer presentation at Black Halls Park there. I played for the, the West Halls and Blue Belt. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and if you grew up in Newcastle, you know, you would most people would have seen you on TV or radio or out at a, uh, there's Newcastle show or something. So, yeah, like, and yeah, so my bitch is just that. If you uh, make plans with someone in the bar last minute. So, yeah, that's the idea of, the, of this section. So, what about yourself? Is there anything on your mind that you'd like to... To get off oh, your chest? Well, there's a, a lot of things, especially the way the world's going now and the total lack of respect of it. Yeah, by all means. Let's, but, let's um, that's really heavy, or not heavy, it's just how it is. But one yep. thing, right, off my mind, I don't know whether anyone will, the right person here. Right, um, what, 20 years ago or so, I'm in my supercar. You know, it's like a Batmobile. Yep. It's very bright. On, now, I do a lot of charity shows. This is yeah, probably near 20 years ago. And I'm on my way to Tokal Agricultural College. And every year, well, haven't for a while, but I used to do the um, chemotherapy and all the cancer kids. Yep. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing kids at all age getting cancer. And they're... And because a lot of them die because, um, anyway, so Chris Fraser, a friend of mine, he, he tees up this thing with, um, oh, God, what the, the things at um, hospital, what's it called? Camp Quality or something. Yep. And um, anyway, up at Tokal Agricultural, every year, you drive up there and we do a free show, wouldn't dream of charging, for the, um, the sick and disabled kids. Yep. that are going through from John Hunter Hospital. One year I arrived in a chopper, which was a little bit... That was pretty pretty good. But I'm driving up in the Supersut on Maitland Road, only not even got to Maitland yet. Now, Tokau, it's not very far away, but I've never... A red car, I think it was a red Ford, fairly new. Right, Mum and Dad are in the front, and there's a, a boy and a girl in the back. They're children, probably around eight or nine years of age. And they drive past it because in my supercar I get so many people, even down the highway, they bit their horn and wave to me and even take photos. Yep. I'll, I'll keep this really short, but it's, I've never told anyone this before. Uh, but Chris knew when I went to do the show. Um, they, they go past, I wave to them, put my siren on because I've got a whole heap of different sirens on. Yep. And gave, you know, the thumbs up sign. Yep. 
like, and hey, because inside I'm going, hey, yippee. And um, because they went past me. Next minute, they pulled over in the lane that I was in, the inside lane, because I never speed. And in the end, I had to overtake them because they slowed up so slow. I thought, what's going on here? Maybe they want a photo of them. So I went to overtake them. And when I got level, now get this, I looked in the car. The mother and the father were giving me the finger up and the two kids in the back thing were giving... I probably weren't allowed to do the thing, but they do giving me the thumb sign down, going, and the look on their faces, you bastard, or something like that. But the two adults giving me the finger in my car, and I'm on the way to do a charity show, you've got no idea how much that upset me. Yeah. And so much so, I had plenty of time, because then they sped up, so I took their number, I had the number plate of this car for something like 10 years, because I, I knew Tony Tamplin real well. I was tempted to go in and ask him to look it up so I could get their address and go around and just front up and tell them how much that affects people when you do that. But when I got up to Tokau to do my show with Chris, who knows I've done so many shows with him, so he knows me real well. My wild super show, especially for these um, sick kids, finished my show. And, that, and Chris said to me, he said, there's something wrong with you. And I said, is there? I said, yeah. He said, you're not the same at all. Not even in your show you weren't. So I told him what happened. So that's how much this affected me. It really hurt me. And the fact I'm talking about it 20 years later, I was so, would have liked to have sent the family a photo. If they're listening, I hope one of them ever hear one day. And uh, I've never given, listeners, I'll tell you this, I've never given anybody the finger in my life. I think it's a disgusting thing. I, when you see rock stars and singers doing it, I, it is just, in a joking, it might be all right, but it is a disgusting thing to do. And um, I've never forgotten that um, a guy doing that to the doctor in hospital in a bed next to me, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My father would have never done that in his life. And it's just the slightest thing. I, I'll tell you a bit about myself, the only serious bit. I'm never rude to anybody in my life at all because that's how I've been brought up and I probably am a bit sensitive to that thing but I've never given anyone the finger in my life. All right, that's my bitch. Did I go too long? No, no, that's exactly what it's all about and it's a fair point too. Like, you, I, I was, um, I'm an advocate for like people's mental health and I try to like be kind onto others. Like, I was raised with that Newcastle and Avocastrian mentality of treat others how you want to be treated and if you're kind to others... Then, because like, I, I learned an interesting metaphor at a training thing we did um, recently. People are like, uh, if you look at their face, people are like icebergs. You can only see what's on the surface and you don't know what's bubbling underneath, whether they've just, you know, buried a loved one or had a breakup or whatever it might be. It, it, it's it, it's an important thing you raise because it, it's, it's so easy to be a kind person and if you go ahead and make someone's day more difficult when you don't have to like these people did, then they can have adverse negative effects. I mean, as you said, you were going up to do a, a show to help some sick kids and entertain them for a while and make them forget their troubles for a bit. And, you know, so I, I agree with you 100%. Like, it's it's not hard to be kind, and um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. No, and it's a fact that 20 years later, I've, I've never said to, told anyone that, only Chris that I got there. 
Yep. And it's just the thing that really has still stuck in my mind. I'd just like to meet them and say, that's not... Why did you do that to me? Maybe the kids told them I gave them the finger. When I Maybe. did the thumbs up, that's the only thing I could put on it. Anyway, yeah. enough of that. What else? Yippee! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad you shared. So... All right, so that we got that out of the system, and you know it's yeah. always good. It's always a good platform. So basically, what I was hoping to do was ask you uh, some questions in relation to your uh, to your career thus far, um, sort yeah. of genesis of some of the moments that have happened, you know, during your time. So the first question I've got: so you start, you've had a lifetime of performing magic and doing and entertaining. My first question is: take yourself back to when you were a kid. Uh, what was the first ever thing that you were a fan of? Can be a show, can be a, a book series, can be anything at all. Do you remember the f- your first ever fandom? Uh, I don't know about a fan, but after Lane Cove Public School, that's where I went to, and um, after school there'd be handout leaflets like tomorrow at Masonic Hall at Northwood, and um, there'd be clown show. So um, we'd walk half a mile down there and go to this clown show. I remember seeing... Clowns doing magic. There was that, and I still remember it vaguely. But my mum used to take us three boys into theatre in the town, into Sydney, that's where I was brought up from. But um, going to theatre, live shows like Cinderella and all those things. And um, he said the earliest thing that was what I always wanted to be on a stage. I seemed to have always wanted that. And I, and I think magic is my way of ending up on stage, um, but I wasn't in any of these plays. But that's where my earliest thing of been wanting to be on stage, and I've never forgot it. I remember saying, Mum asked me what I wanted to do for a living one day. I wanted to be an actor on stage. And, of course, uh, you don't want to do that because there's no money. In <laughs> anyway, magic is my vehicle. Yep. Here we are many decades later, and you've made a lifetime of it. So when... When you were sort of growing up, when what was the first ever sort of show that do you remember the first show that you did, the first magic show you performed? Yeah, Longable Sailing Club. <laughs> uh, because when I left school at fifteen, right, I'm fifteen years of age, lived in Sydney, and my uncle owned a wool classing company out at Mascot, yep. and they offered me a job out there. So I left school. I didn't like high school at all. I was bullied a bit because I was so skinny and I used to come home with bruises on my arms because I get punched. But anyway, it didn't affect me. It was like a joke thing. Anyway, uh, and so I went into this um, the sheds out at out near Mascot. There's a, a trainee wall class or we were just carving the wall from the bin. Heavy physical work for this really skinny body. But I was very fit because I did a lot of sports, cricket, tennis, sailing... And um, I met the other side of life because I was brought up in a nice home and then it, it came with all these um, worker people, you know, where they <laughs> and spit on the floor and that. I'd never seen that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never forgot. But the manager of the place used to take me to work, top, and the owner, of course, Uncle Jim was my, was my the owner of it and the, the big other manager, I knew everyone in there because they used to come around at Christmas Day to our family house. And all these people, he started this wool thing. And in the 60s, Australia was um, floating off the wool sheep's back. So, and this was 1961. And but the first time in my life, I had money. 
because I got five pound nineteen and six bits. That's what I got a week, which is like ten dollars. And first time in my life I had money. I had to give mum two pound a week board. So I'd catch the Northwood bus going to town. There were three magic shops in Sydney, and that's where I started buying magic tricks at fifteen because my brother bought one home from Woolworths once a little cups and ball thing and I've still got it and that was I was the one that sort of took to it and I went to the magic shops in Sydney and some of the things I bought in 61, 62 I still use today that's cool still in the 60s and that was how I got introduced to magic and I just got bigger and bigger and he asked me at the first show finally put a little show together the Lane Cove 12 foot skip sailing club for Christmas party and I was I must have been pathetic <laughs> Oh, it would have been terrible. <laughs> but I don't think anyone would have known in those days. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere, though. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I grew from. And then word, I wasn't very good at magic. I just did magic. That's a, But um, oh, someone with a name in Double Bay got hold of me, and I did their kid show. It wasn't dynamic kid shows or anything in the 60s. But I get hired a lot. Mum had to drive me to the... Well, she liked driving me to these shows. So that's how I started. That's cool. So you've um you've been performing magic since the sixties. That's that's incredible. And you've you've uh, performed both nationally and internationally. Um, when you got recognised for your work, where was your first overseas show that you performed? Well, it was there's only nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy, I married a, um, a lady from Newcastle. Girl, girl I should have said. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And straight away I moved up here because I couldn't afford a house in Sydney. Yep. Just on um, Woolclass away. And um, moved up to Newcastle 1970. So I've been here ever since and now I'm totally... Oh, this was the best place to live in Australia. We've got to keep this still a secret. Because <laughs> friends of mine have moved up here. Love it. Um, anyway, moved up here and it was 1978. I got it... Or 76 a guy offered me a job at a furniture factory out at Taralba, yep. making office desks. That's what made And because Dad was good with his hands, all that, all my, my brothers were all, we were all really good with our hands. We, you know, woodwork, tech drawing, you could make, we could make a lot of things. And Dad was really very clever. And we just learned off him. And I picked up how to make these office desks really quick, because it was good with my hands. And used to work pretty quick. In 1978, I bought it off the guy because he went back to England, and um, it was I was then making my own big illusion, which I still got today, and I was wearing doing the magic shows by then with the top hat and tails. Yeah. I, was I bought doves and produced doves. I was still not very good as a magician at all. It was certainly not funny. Didn't like know how to talk much. I just did do the do the trick with no personality. I know that. But 1978, making this illusion, magic's only is how you do it, how good it is. The magic of this trick is probably only 10%. The rest is showmanship because I think it's a pathetic trick, but some people don't know how to do it. <laughs> and um, anyway, made that. How am I going to do this? Well, when I used to go to the beach, you start dating teenagers when you're as skinny as me. It's very embarrassing. So... Um, I thought, well, if I, and people would laugh at me, so I thought, if I'm that funny, I know what I'll do. This was out at Taralba, 1978, very early in January. Um, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear a super costume. 
can show off my skitty, but I'm going to wear it underneath my top hat and tails. I'll do a front bit of magic shows with fire-eating, dance work, sleight-of-hand magic, and then I'll change in a phone booth, because I could knock that up in a couple of hours. That phone booth would come out as superhuman. Because so I'm the opposite to Superman, the skinny, puny weekly. And and I had this idea, and I oh, it's quite a, it's a long story, take ages, but I went to the ballet shop, and I was embarrassed, and I... I remember the orange leotard at New Lamp. I bought a Superman comic and I showed it the front page and said, I, I want to look like Superman. And Loretta told me years later, she said she nearly laughed because she thought, geez, he hasn't got the build for it. <laughs> and she got the, some blue tights off the rack, which I still have, and I take them to guest speaking and show people. And um, I had, it dawned on me, I had to get in a change room, take most of my clothes off and put these blue tights on. And I remember her saying, do they fit? And I said, I don't know, they're really tight. And I've never had it. When you've never had anything on like that before, probably like women's um, stocking. And she said, oh, you better come out and show me. And I went, oh, geez, because all I had on underneath was my underpants. <laughs> and she was busting them. She told me years later, she was busting the laugh. She said, I'll look so funny. Then she got me a top part that I stepped in, so I was all blue. And then she said, I'll make you some trunks, which I, should, I still I show all this in my guest speak. The trunks are gigantic with a couple of holes in it because my wands that fire, fire a blank blew off in my pants and <laughs> made my leg bruise. And that's why today I have stars over my trunk. Not, <laughs> not the new ones don't have holes in them, but when I took it back to Loretta and said, can you repair this? Can you make me a new phone? She said, no, I won't make a new one. I'll just sew a star over it. You know, it's a ballet shop. And that's how I ended up with stars on me. It was to cover up two holes, because twice I did it. The gun went, oh, you should have seen a bruise on my leg when it hit it. That's and um, But everyone in the audience laughed. They thought it was part of the trick, but it wasn't. <laughs> and then I did, then I top hat tails, came home. My wife came home from, from work. And I ran into the lounge room with just my blue tights on that I'd got so far. And she laughed and said, what do you got that for? I said, I'm putting that in my show. She, she said, no, no, you're not. She <laughs> you know, she didn't want her husband parading around his skinny body in 1978. And um, she was such a good sewer. Because I said, could you make me a cake? And uh, she didn't want anything to do with me super thin. So quite every night I'd be practicing... Um, with these clothes underneath top hat tails, there's so many clothes to take off. The, all the proper gear with um, tails that they used to wear in the in the 20s and trying to get it down to half a minute where I could take, go behind the phone booth, take off these clothes quick and I'd have my Superman costume underneath. Yep. Anyway, it took me ages to get it down to half a minute, but I'd have music going on, which David James from 2KO did me like faster than a speeding bull ant, more powerful than a lot. Like my, anyway, he did a voiceover while I'm changing behind the phone booth, and that was and I started doing that in the shows. And the first super show I did was I got hired for Fate up at Musclehook, and first time I ever did it, so it was a fate. So it was the wrong sort of act to do with top hat and tails, but I did it in a classroom anyway. The doves then got in, a, went in the phone booth, changed, came out, had no idea how. It, I just went ah. But the big, the big thing was, nobody laughed. 
<laughs> I like felt a real idiot, but that was it. And then I slowly got better at it the more shows I did. And the character started coming out of me. And then in um, Melbourne Cup Day by 1982, that's four years I've been doing it. And I'm, in 1978, in the middle of the year, I went to a magic convention in Sydney. For the first time ever that all my magician friends, I changed into superhuman in a Superman and they were astounded because they, I was a quiet boy and they think, God, he's changed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, and I came back with three trophies, which I wasn't meant to win. I just go to, I just go into competitions to clown around. So that was the first time I ever won a trophy. Didn't do anything to my ego because I knew I was only clowning around and I know I'm not a clever magician, sort of. And anyway, uh, and then in 1980, at the Opera House, I got a phone call from a magician said, we'd like you to do four shows at the Opera House. Well, the Opera House was brand new. That was a big time. I still yeah. tickets. And went down there with the, the other magicians and I had four shows in one day and the craps I got in, because I did this box escape. It was another idea I got of locking. Wouldn't it be funny to get locked in a box like Houdini but not be able to get out? <laughs> and the NBN telephone, when I used to do it on that, I've got letters off NBN saying, we're having the telephone, but we're not going to hold it without you unless you bring the impregnable box. It was a joking thing, because I knew all the managers very well, because the NBN show. Anyway, um, that was 1980, but in 82, Melbourne Cup Day, Adamstown Rosebuds, big stage, four years I've been doing it, had me a little springboard, because the thing is, I jump off the stage when I change, run around the auditorium, come back, and you can't get back on the stage because they're about five foot high. So you have to run up the side, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll buy a little springboard, like I'm holding, and put it just off the aisle. So I come running up the aisle, jump on it, and spring up the stage, and you should see the audience. Some of them, they can't see it from behind a few rows. But they'd all look, geez, how'd he do that? But this is Melbourne Cup Day, 82. It was packed at Adamstown Rosemont. And I had my springboard just off the stage, did my first bit of act, my doves in about, I think it was about 13 minutes, changed in the phone booth, then I go for a real loud bang with a, with a blank gun thing, bang, but while I was changing, I think, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to jump off this high stage onto the springboard and see how high I can leap in the air, because it was meant for getting up on the stage, and I still remember it so clear, the bang went, because I was thinking about it, I wasn't changing, I came out, leapt up in the air off the stage onto the springboard because they've got a slight slope on them because that's what the jumping they do. And um, I went about six feet in the air, but the problem is my feet went up, right up in the air, and I was horizontal to the wooden floor. And all I could think of, I had, think I had so much time to think of, I know, if I land on my back, I'm going to be a paraplegic. I turned in the air and fell down. I, I found out the next day I broke my wrist. Got swelled up in the night time and um, bruised my hip where I landed. But I continued on with this trick, this illusion that I made that started it all. I, by then I'd invented a milk bottle penetration trick and another trick that were original to me because I started making my own trick. And the audience all loved it. They all thought that jumping off the stage and falling over was part of the trick. And a lady came up after the show. I didn't know who she was. She said, I'm an agent from Sydney. She said, um, who manages you? And I went, 
nobody been doing it for years because when I went to Melbourne and did a show at a magic convention, people came up and wanted to manage me. But they all talked. No one ever did anything because I, I was so different to any other magician. Anyway, she gave me a card. I didn't ring her because people used to come up and say that to me. That at the night they were fascinated and then it wear off. Two weeks later she rang me. You haven't rung me. I said, oh, are you real, are you? <laughs> so I went down to see her. And there she managed Lucky Star and all these big time acts. And anyway, next week she put me in Concord RSL Club full of agents. And um, I did my show with the phone booth changed, my doves, and I was apparently I was so different. By midday the next day in the furniture factory, she rang me up. She said, that diary I gave you, write these down. There were 10 Sydney clubs. Reesby Workers RSL Club, you're with supporting Harry Seacombe. Rudy Hill RSL Club, Marrickville RSL. There were, there were 10 clubs from Sydney and I went, oh my God, I'm on the Sydney club circuit because that was my lifelong goal. But the problem is I lived in Newcastle with the old road down the wild. But anyway, that's how it was. And that's that sort of and she managed me and took me all over Australia to, and after I did the show at Concord RSL Club, all the agents that booked me. First one was January Young Talent Time. And they gave me a fantastic time. And Johnny Young who used to run Young Talent Time. I got really good friends with him. And so with the parents in the green room and so were all the young talent time kids. I'd be on NBN television's Saturday morning live catch a plane down the young talent time in their studio when they're rehearsing, walk in and all the kids would stop and run over and give me a hug because I was so different. Not first they didn't, they didn't know me, but the, when you toured, I toured with them and they gave me the biggest audiences I've ever had in the all in the 80s, 25,000 people at the Maya Music Bowl and I had a, a, quite a big spot, 11 minutes in his show. But I wish... I had all my moves and what I did now because I'd be a lot funnier now than I was then. Sorry for raving on. No, this is exactly what it's about. It's about storytelling and that's exactly what I wanted. Uh, that's that's quite a story. And as you said, you were that was sort of in the 80s and in the mid-80s as well. You won, Some of your work was being recognised. You, you won the Magician of Australia and the Houdini Award for the best... Ma- Stage Music Act, and yeah. uh, in 1985, you won the Australian Gold Medal in, Award in Magic. So, my question is, now that you're doing what you love, you know, you're well versed and you're performing, uh, what's it like going through your head when you work actually being recognised and you're winning awards amongst your peers? Um, well, music, oh, very flattering, but I, it, it does. You can win something, but it doesn't earn you any extra money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the magic things that I've won, the gold medal, there was only one ever competition I went in that I really actually wanted to win and try. The rest, I'd be backstage with all the other magicians because we all knew each other so well. And I'd just go in to clown around because by her managing me at the end of 82, I was like a professional magician as well as still doing the furniture factory in the daytime yep. and getting back from Sydney, especially... 83, 84, 85, I was going to Sydney, especially the first year, four nights a week because there were 1,500 clubs in Sydney and I am skinny for a reason. I had a chronic illness and that really, by the end of 83, I think on this driving and getting home at 2 and 3 a.m. and then going in the furniture factory, I'd have to start a bit later. 
But the next day I'd have to go to Sydney again to do another club. It didn't warm me out anyway. Um, what were we going on? I've forgotten what you asked me now. That's uh, all right. No, I was just the question was, uh, oh, what, yeah. what was it like to have your work recognised? Yeah, well, well, the magic convention, I'd just go in to clown around because being a professional magician, I'd, I'd go embarrassed if I go in a minute and I thought, I'm only clowning around. But then they offered the Houdini Award in Melbourne with a, a very big prize money. So I, I drove down to Melbourne because I, I knew all that, those magicians because of conventions, we all knew each other. And that was the only one I did my proper act on the stage at the Witches and Britches Club in. That was the only one I ever tried to win, and one of the judges came up to me, and he said, and he said um, at the end of the show, he said, I'm going to give you my the judging papers, because he said, look, I was on 98, 99%, and the, the closest to me was, was 75, you know, points. You blew them away. From all the other magicians. Yeah. I thought, God, he said, yeah. He said, because I made them laugh. And I entertained them. And my act was so different. I'm not a clever magician. Yeah, some magicians, there's one of them particularly got very upset because his magic's very clever. But I can't yeah. help that. <laughs> no, it's not. You're not. That, yeah, you guys are the ones being judged. It's sort of, yeah, like, it's his acting out of jealousy because he wasn't as entertaining, but the fan of things. So. Oh, I know. I've never, ever, I still know his name. I dare mention that. But he came up and he said, and he said, um, the champion magician of Australia won. He said, you shouldn't have won that. I should. Man, I would never do that to anyone. Fancy the ego saying, I should have won it. Yeah. I just couldn't believe the ego. But I made everyone laugh, see. And, but, and I must have heard him when I said, look, I didn't even try my best on that. The champion magician of Australia won. I didn't even try my best. Because I had another show that, a professional show that night. Yeah. On that one. And I even had my costume underneath for, my, for the 12-minute um, act for this champion magician strain. And I knew if I took the costume off and changed it, I'd go over the 12 minutes. One second over 12 minutes, then you disqualify. And all backstage, they're all going, no, because they all knew I had my costume. They're going, no, get off. You know, I did, because I was only clowning around. And by the way, I won it and upset him. <laughs> anyway, I hope I'm not boring everyone. No, no, no. This is this is good. So you know, it just goes to show that if you have a, a sense of entitlement, like old mate Sam, like he did, then you end up being disappointed. So, congratulations on winning that. And um, so, as you're performing, um, your skill set, as you said, was was getting bigger. You're making people laugh. You're you're doing your own uh, tricks, and you you're making umpteenth amount of people laugh and feel entertained. Or as you're going along. Uh, amongst your many talents you're also a public speaker when did you notice that this was part of your skill set as well uh guest speaking in yep. 1995 no in the late 80s a, a convention at katoomba and one of the guys pleaded with me because i make a lot of my own tricks that they see pleaded with me to do a lecture you know a lecture of magic where professional magicians get up and lecture on how they do certain tricks yep. to present. And I thought, I'm not going to show them my own tricks, but um, how I do them. But, and he said, no, that's, no, we, what he said, we want you as a guest speaker. So I thought, oh, all right. And uh, that was the first time I ever did it. 
and the magicians were laughing because Maureen, my wife, was there. And, um, well, when I made it to the opera house, oh, yeah, remember my wife didn't want anything to do it? Oh, it all changed. <laughs> it all changed then. What would you like me to make for you? And so, <laughs> because um started um, getting a lot more work and, and um, I made them laugh because I told the true story of the shirt I was wearing when I was doing it. I mean, it's a shirt. Fantastic. One with Australian thing. Well, my wife made that. I mean, it was pretty clever to make a thing like that. Still got it today. But I told the story of enlarging a trick. I'd show them a small trick and then I'd make, make the same trick um, like 10 times bigger. And by making it bigger, I had to change the way it was done. Yep. And I think that... But it was some of the things I'd done on stage, the stupid things, I made them all laugh again at a guest speaker. And I thought, well, that was the start of a guest speaking. So only when I got... See, 1983, NBN Television saw me on Young Talentine. And um, someone said I was from up from Newcastle. So the first mm, that telethon they had in March, they got me for it, and that was it. Was it. That was the first time they saw me at NBN, and then a few weeks later I got a phone call, we've got an early bird show, would you like to come on it as a guest? And that was the start of that. Yeah, awesome. And I ended on every Saturday morning, for nearly 10 years, when you're on every Saturday morning and then every day in the school holidays, there's, and then they'd invented a big dog. And I'd just do what I'd do. Well, anyway, that's how you and a lot of people have grown up watching me. Yeah, Le- like legitimately, yeah. I, uh, a friend of mine's mum, she uh, she also, I was talking to, I put a post up on Facebook and just asking if people had Super Hubert stories. And uh, my friend Matt said, you did his 21st. And Tina said, Tina said something interesting. She said that, uh, you used to have a toy store at Cardiff, is that right? Did you used to yeah. run a toy store as well? Yeah. Yes. How was that, running a, your own toy store as well? Terrible. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm, it was... Um, sort of bought it from my wife, but um, it was from a friend of mine, a really good friend, of, I can't say, maybe I knew said buy it and it was showed me the figures and it was thought, gee, it earns quite a bit of money a year. And I thought that shouldn't be too hard to run. And remember, I'm professional I mean doing all these shows and in the late nineties I still had my furniture factory. No, not nineties I didn't, late eighties. Eighty nine I had to give it up. I couldn't do both at all. I couldn't keep up with my orders and and it was nine, um, 89, bought the toy shop, gave me a fee, and when I did a stock take, uh, there were $45,000 worth, really, I'm going to tell the truth, $45,000 worth of retail stock in the shop, yeah. and I paid $100,000 for it. <laughs> and it was later on, I thought, at that stage, I could have bought a house for $100,000. And, of course, they only go one way up. And the figures were all wrong. The the very first week I knew something was wrong. The thing didn't make a profit, made a loss. And she she was in debt 
up to her ears, and I got her out of debt. Anyway, I did one good thing for someone. <laughs> because in um, three years, um, he couldn't sell it because Toys R Us came here, and I just closed it down. And I really lost money on the toy shop. But anyway, and one day I got so bored in the toy shop, I'm still on NBN on the Big Dog Show. Oh, this quick job. Right. I went home, only up the road, put my super costume on, because I, I know nearly everyone in Cardiff, and I'm still on NBN. Put my super costume on, ran around all into the shops, yippee, hello. Just, and fired my wand. Now my wand that put a hole in my trunks. It's like hmm. a gun shop. It's really loud. Yeah. And then I thought, now, two doors up from us is the Commonwealth Bank. Right? I didn't know them very well, but they used to come in and we used to sell lollies in the shop. And, and a couple of doors up from there was Westpac, where I had all my loan from for the toy shop and everything. And so I knew the manager there real well. But the Commonwealth Bank was the first one I did. Right? Now I've, got, I've done running around Cardiff. Right, Commonwealth Bank, the two doors that swing open, I raced in. I threw the doors open, you know, so that they rebounded on the side. That was a loud enough bang jumped up on the wooden inquiry counter, which was about oh, about four foot high, jumped up, so I'm powering over everyone, lifted out my wand and fired it like a gunshot. Bang! And everyone nearly jumped, because I can tell you it was loud. And I thought I'd get a laugh, but I didn't. And apparently it was pension day, and everyone was crouching down and that, and I thought I didn't get a laugh. All right. See ya, jumped off, ran out the doors, ran straight up the road and did exactly the same to Westpac. Flew into the door open with a loud bang, jumped that inquiry counter and fired my wand. Now, uh, what's his name? Two, three doors down the road, Bobby was in the bank on that day and he still lives next near me. And his account of that's really different to mine because... Um, at least uh, they, the manager was peering out of the door down the back and you could see him go, oh, thank God it's him, because he thought it was a holder. But the, <laughs> the real well. quick, I'll keep this real quick, I frightened hell out of it. But two weeks later, this is as true as I stand here, I'm standing in the toy shop, the manager of the Commonwealth Bank came in. Now, I knew what he looked like, but I didn't know him personally. He came in, because they used to come in and get lollies, and he said... When you ran in the bank and fired your wand, he said, if you ever do that again, and I went, oh, no. This is as true as I said. He said, if you ever do that again, can you ring me up and let me know when you're coming? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, Jesus, does he want me to do it again? And I thought, because he said, we had two tellers that were held up in a bank in Sydney, and they got the shakes and the nerves, so... Commonwealth Bank moved them up to Newcastle, where you, a nice quiet suburb out in Cardiff, where you won't be held up at all. And I run into there, fire my wand, and of course they didn't know a clue who I was, and they thought it was a holder, because. Um, and he said, at the moment they're off on two weeks stress leave. So he said, if you ever do it again, can you ring me up and let me know you're coming? <laughs> and that's a true story. That's cool. <laughs> Imagine if I did that today. It wouldn't matter who I was. I'd be arrested. That'd, yeah, it'd be certainly it'd be received a lot differently, I'd imagine. Yeah, but I know how honest I'm a... I'd like 
Pete and myself is 100% honest. Um, I could go into people's shop and look after their shop while they go out uh, because um, I know that I'm never going to steal anything. That's, and I, I, that's how it was. I could do anything. I could be on the roof of a car in front of the police in Newcastle and they'd just let me go. I can't, you certainly can't do that now. A, a supercar, I mean, I had used to nip out on the roof in about four moves, up on the roof, sometimes doing 120 kilometres an hour with my stunt show, but that's another story. Sorry, I haven't given you a chance to talk, Mark. No, you're not. That's all good. No, that was actually going to be my next question, is a lot of people may not be aware that you used to have a stunt show. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> all good. Uh, ironically enough, my brother's name's Mark, so... Oh, right. Yeah, I thought that's you were right. your brother. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. Um, yeah, my next question was going to be was, can you tell us about your stunt show that you used to have? A lot of people might not be familiar with it, and what are some of the stunts that you used to that you used to put on for people? No, they wouldn't. When I, I look back at some of the things I've done on stage, oh, I don't know how I haven't burnt clubs now. <laughs> oh, I've stopped, got on video to... I'll get to my stunt show because that's what you ask for. That's another story. How I didn't burn a stunt. Anyway, because I love light of fluid and flame. My stunt show. I'm at Newcastle Showgrounds because I used to get hired there in, a, in the background doing the magic show of the year because I knew a lot of the showground people when you get hired every year. And I had a minty sponsorship. And I had, in other words, unlimited supply of minties. They would come to my door in carton loads. Whenever I rang up for carton loads, six cartons of midgets come up with, you know. And, right, Newcastle Show uh, was asked to get in the back of the Bridgestone Commodore team, you know, that jump their cars over each other and go round two wheels. Yep. Go in the back of their ute and throw your lollies out. Not at people. I always throw them up in the air so they don't hurt people. And I thought, oh, yeah. I'd do that in the back of their ute, the Bridgestone Commodore ute, and a giant, giant bucket, bucket of minties. So I'd do a couple of laps throwing lollies out, and then I'd do it again the next day, four days in a row. Because so, I, I had unlimited supply of minties. They loved it. So, and, but while I'm doing there, I'm thinking, this is not right. I should be in my own car, not someone else's. And that instantly gave me the idea. And uh, I know when it was, I was still in the toy shop. Right there, went back one day, sat there, started drawing a diagram of the supercar I wanted with a pole, six metre pole sticking up at an angle through the roof where the fins have um, big fins like Batman fins and they have fireworks coming out of them. All the, the fireworks, I loved fireworks my whole life. And I, I built a fire tunnel um, was it 22 feet long, like a cricket pitch, where I'd run through framework of wood, carpet-covered wood soaked in petrol, was 35 litres of petrol, <coughs> with fire clothes come out. That was what I had. So another guy I knew in business made all the framework for me, that it, so it all dismantled, it all socketed into one another, so I could actually fit it in the back of the car. That was um, the framework with all mm. the boards, been still at the furniture factory. I cut the wood in half that I run through, then staple it together, and then with the carpet cover wood. So when I hit it, the, the staples would break. That was the idea. But most of the petrol went on the ground, and um, 
told Newcastle show I had, oh, anyway, I got, got this Toyota Crown, took it, got it painted, I paid for everything, stickered it all up, and he, lucky I had a friend, he did all the framework for my fire tunnel and the pole in it. Um, then I got harness made, a tiny little harness, I had a routine, then I had to order a fire coat from Brisbane, a $1,200 one coat, my wife heard me ordering that on the phone, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing now? And I said, it's a fireproof, five-layered, no-mix material that doesn't burn. I'm going to run through a fire tunnel. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, it was half built. But the, the problem was, I couldn't. Re I got it all built. I couldn't rehearse it. You can't just light a fire and run. <laughs> and when the That's fire true. brigade in Newcastle, and they they thought. Yeah, we'll let you rehearse in here because they got. But then the boss came out, and of course, public liability, they couldn't. So I couldn't. So, but Newcastle Fire uh, Showground hired me. Instead of a magic show, they hired me stunt show, which paid a lot more, of course, because it was more dangerous. And it's, it was a comedy stunt show, not meant to be serious, with a blow up dunny. And all my pyrotechnics, any slack spot in the stunt show, I'd have fireworks. Anyway. Right, my first stunt show, it's, what is it, pouring with rain and a gale for oh, the wind. Oh, no. So, um, of course, the fire tunnel wouldn't light. Everything was sopping wet. And I ran through like nothing. It was, was so embarrassing. And anyway, my fireworks all worked because, uh, but the stunt car climbing up the pole, swinging off that, they cut up, the bike sways it from side to side, so I swing from side to side on this short rope up a pop angle pole, my head hit the pole as it came swooping about from one side to the other and I just thought it was sweat because I was so hot I had fire clothes on plus my super costume underneath and but it wasn't, someone said you were bleeding, I thought it was sweat until I put my hand on my face the pole cut me and your head bleeds very protruding, anyway audience love it when you get injured <laughs> anyway and then I'd change in a, I'd I'd run through the fire tunnel because it sprayed my back and I'd come out all burning, lie down, put that out. Then I'd go in a, like a dunny. It's got the word dunny on it. Mm. And I'd have a pyrotechnic out about and a really loud bang when I put my foot on the firework. And he put a three-foot bunger in the door. And, and the, I made the phone boot, I mean the, the blow-up dunny, so I pushed the sides, threw the roof up in the air, I had ducks when the roof came down. I'd run away and I'd have my super costume underneath. And then I'd do more climbing up the pole of my of my car. Anyway, comedy stunt act. And then I got I had to buy a five ton Pantech truck that lifted my car and everything up because I got on the show circuit. Oh, a long way away, all up in Queensland, Concurry, Mount Isa, Tennant Creek, Alice Springs. Um, Oh, damn it. I never forgot Bega show and anyway all these I got on the show circuit with my stunt act and I can say now I did it all all wrong in one sort you have to have public liability for these things because my fireworks are dangerous and anyway people have run out in the truck in front of a stunt car if you run them over the showground liable but I've got a 
the magic show's got a public liability. I did all the stunt shows on the magic show's public liability. So I basically did all this fire and all this act without public liability. The lie, I would have risked my whole house and everything. But anyway, no, I was, I'm always careful that nothing happens. And it didn't until I really blew my thumb off one day. But that was it. Anyway, that me stunt show. And I did that until... Uh, in the 2000s where it's just physically got so... It's so much work doing a stunt show and, it, and I couldn't do it any longer. Physically it demanded. So I still got all my fire clothes and I take them to guest speaking. And oh, and that was learning curve. I kept getting burnt, you know, because I couldn't practice it. Parts of me were getting burnt and some... some was When there's no wind, the fire was so hot that I start seeing stars in my brain and I knew if your brain got hot you'd die. And I knew yep. to step right or left and jump out of the framework and I because I had to shut my eyes because everything was so hot and I kept hitting the upright post. I've actually got a photo of that actual day where I got stuck in there a bit long. Now I've got fire clothes on so now by then I couldn't get burned. Mm. The next day my legs and all my toes and parts of some arms all came blistered up I didn't get burnt I got cooked <laughs> I could have had to hide that from my wife all these burnt things I actually <laughs> got put like in an oven I was there so long deep fried deep fried if you hear that <laughs> yeah oh no it was a risk I took so many risks and then on the variety bashes out in the out, I don't do it now because I take a different supercar but just nippy out on the roof, hang on to my bars. I had a bar at the front and the top, doing 120. And if a bird hit me in the face, I was a goner. Yeah, that sounds pretty extreme. Yeah, and grabbing the chopper had come up behind me on a bash, sitting on 100. I've got all this on video. And I'd grab hold of his skids. Just like a name, Gary Tyhurst was a brilliant chopper pilot. Mm. Sorry he died for working for the ABCs. He crashed, but... He was a lovely man, but the risks that he he took too, coming up behind you sideways at my level, many dive bomb. Oh, the closeness we used. Anyway, Mitch, still here. Yep. Your turn. I hope I'm not boring everyone. No, this is no. You please. I I love these stories. This is this is exactly what I signed up for. Yeah, that sounds like a like a hair raising sort of close, but. I had no idea. I think I think from memory, when I went to Newcastle show as a kid, I remember receiving some of those minties. Used to drive around the big, the big oval and yeah, getting flashbacks. So I grew up in West Walls End, not far from your yeah. your clothing factory, and I consider myself an overcastian through and through. And um, my, I was going to sort of touch on another uh, part of your career. That's well, and I know that's close to your heart because you've said quite often in interviews that you. You enjoy doing the charity work, and I was going to ask as well. Um, so you do lots of charity work. You have for decades. Things like the the bash, the variety bash. And yeah. I was just going to ask, how did you sort of start to get involved in doing some of the some of the charity work that you've done so far? Well, in the eighties, when I was on NBN television, that gets you known. Oh, and on the big dog show in the mid eighties, my family wouldn't go shopping with me. Because kids would come up and go, because they thought I was a loony. <laughs> and my wife, 
Can you imagine my wife didn't like that? Her husband's um, an idiot. <laughs> Do you laugh? And I used to think, what laugh? I didn't know that I had this laugh. But that, I had to play back a couple of things to find out what, what they meant once. But, um, but when you get known, that's when, in the end, especially in the 90s, half my phone calls for shows would be nearly people ringing up wanting the free show. Yeah. You know, as a fundraiser, we haven't got any money. And the first, I can't remember the first one I did, but it was in the 80s. And then, uh, then it just starts. And you, and because I'm earning money anyway from the magic shows, it's no skin off my nose. And it's, in, it's embarrassing to charge for doing a charity show, especially when you go there. There yep. was an early one, I remember, at Griffith Duncan Theatre. Oh, never forgotten it. With Miss Kim, because Kimmy and I are good friends. I even, yep. I've been on Romper Room, scared the hell out of kids on Romper Room. Cause they're oh, I was on Romper Room as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would have been with Kimmy. Yep. Kimmy, Miss Kim. And, yep. oh, she was on this show, and I, I think she asked me, and what's your charity fee? Because some were getting paid or something. And the charity fee, it was only $130. See, I even remember the amount. And I get there and there's some kids on stage in wheelchairs doing special touch of paradise. With, and they're dancing with their hands with the teacher. Aki, dear uh, yeah, little kid, even the mention of his name, mm. he's a little Asian boy, which reminded me of my son who's adopted from Korea. Aki's an Asian boy who's only about like six or seven or eight years of age in a wheelchair doing this on a stage. They've never, ever known what it's like to walk. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, that's the last time I'll ever charge for a charity show. And I gave the check back to Miss Kim. And I said, I don't, I don't want to pay. Anyway, and that was the last time I ever charged for that. But Aki, and I'd never forgot this kid, Asian kid in a wheelchair. No, there was like about 10 of them in wheelchairs doing their hand dancing with a teacher. Yep. And because so many of them I've grown up knowing, knowing some of them. Um, so, um, and I was at Garden, no, Charlestown Square. I'd say 10 years ago, that's all. And yep. carers, you know, take these wheelchair people for shopping and that. And it was only about a week before Christmas. And this person, and I've never forgotten the kid's name, Arky, because I bumped into him a couple of times after that. Because all the disabled kids you get to know, because I love entertaining disabled kids. When you run into your music, because that's what they like, music and colour, you see their eyes, yeah, they light up. And Arky... And it was only about 10 years ago. So I don't know how old he would have been then, 30 or something. But in front of me, there was a person in the wheelchair, and I noticed the skin colour. I was only getting near side on was darkish a bit. And I just thought, I wonder if that's a hockey, because I haven't seen him for 15 years or something like that. And I still remembered his name. And I, I stopped the lady that was pushing him, and I said, you wouldn't happen to be Arky, would you? And he said, yeah, 
they believe because he's not mentally he's not mental at all. Yeah. He's, and and I couldn't believe it was him I bumped into him for so long that I remembered him and we talked about old shows and that. Anyway, Christmas and that. And I I turned around and I thought, Oh, I hope I see you again But I I took fifty dollars out of my wallet. I just ran back and I tucked it in his shirt and I said, buy him something for Christmas. And now I wish I'd given him more. But anyway, um, if you can't help people, so, um, I like that. No, so that's I just do so many. I've done yeah. hundreds and hundreds of charity shows. And I did a write, a write for a friend of mine. Oh, I'll send it to you. I think it's about eight pages. He wanted a brief history of superhero, but so I put in there about charity things. And it's got my diary and copied off it. And it was this day, this, 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 all in a row, these, these. And in the middle of this day of three or four charity shows, I had a show in Sydney that night. And it was free as well. But um, it's, oh no, if you can't do that for other people. Because I, anyway, that's and then in the year 1999, I heard of Variety, the children's charity. But yep. um, someone asked me to do a free show for them at the foreshore, so I went and did a show. And John Flower, bloke from Sydney, and Brian Moon saw what I did because by then, what 1999, I know exactly how to do a handle kids and the wild kids show, and. And they, then they asked me to come into a tent after. I said, oh, right. I said, we want to take you on a variety bag. We'll fly you in the chopper. And I've got my supercar with the fins here. And, and my, I love dirt roads because it reminds me of going to shearing sheds. Because as well as wool classing, I went to the shearing sheds as well for yeah. quite a few years working in shearing sheds. There's a rouse about in it. And I love driving in dirt roads, taking my magic to the shearing sheds and my little uh, aeroplanes I used to fly, and and I wanted to drive the car. I said, fancy that, I'm not back driving a chopper. I said, no, I'd rather drive my car. Now, of course, I'd rather go on chopper. <laughs> because it's five, six, um, seven hundred, six hundred kilometres a day on dirt. And it takes all day, plus you stop for lunch. So, anyway... So they got me for the variety bash, and, and I said, they said, how much do you want? I said, don't want anything, but I said, it would help if taking my supercar on a bash, it's an old car, it's going to, they, they, they'd say any more, they said, we'll pay for your whatever repairs, but we want you on the bash, so we'll pay for your car. Well, they don't anymore, but um, they paid for a couple of repairs, but that's it, only a couple of tyres that I do on the bash. Other than that, no. And so um, and what, I, what I do is a show in the morning at breakfast. See, schools give us a variety of the children's charity. We give them about 12 13 or $14 per head, the schools. We give them for breakfast for 300 people. But we, they go to Woolworths and that, and they get all their, a lot of their food for free. So it's their biggest fundraiser for a whole year. The bash also donates them variety, 
playground equipment or something they need for their disabled kids and, and um, the things for the school that some of the pe people won't buy them, disabled, especially disabled things. And I do a show in the morning after breakfast. They all leave, so I've got to play catch-up. Um, and then at lunchtime, one or two o'clock, I do another show. Um, and then you drive, but it's a long day. You get in sometimes 6 p.m. after doing two, two yeah. or three shows. Because and uh, but and that's I've been on I don't know up near 60 bashes now all that. Yeah, and um, I can speak for a lot of people when I say we we are grateful for the years of selfless uh, acts and shows and countless hours that you put in so on behalf of many people I'm going to say thank you and um, my um, my next question is as well is you've been doing it for over 40 years like you've been entertaining countless children and doing adult shows guest speaking charity events um, how do you still find motivation to keep going after four decades like that's that's an achievement in itself oh well tomorrow I've got two children's shows and an adult show yep uh, and the first ones are little four-year-olds. Oh, that's very visual magic for them, and so they can see a lot of it. Because yep. five and six, seven, they start getting pretty good, but four are very young. They're preschool, because I do a lot of preschools. I know I go and sit down with them first because um, they come in me costume. I don't go running in wild because I'd be scared to hell. And um, so I've got three shows tomorrow. Um, Oh no, they're still it's still a pleasure to win kids over. Win kids I can win over in in seconds. Literally because I'm bashed with all these schools I go to, no one knows me. And some of the teachers do because they come up in Newcastle. So I have a dressing gown on over my costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and the kids are you should see the teachers out there wondering what the hell's going on here. Because they can see I've got something on underneath it because the dressing gown's not to the floor. Yeah. And it's, I gee them up what empty means first. Empty! I remember that, empty. And you had, used yeah. to have a, a box with empty on it as well. Yeah, and things with empty on. So before my show, they are screaming empty because they get a wicked fizz bar, a free, free lolly. Kids will scream for a free lolly. And then you want a quiet show or a wild one, and they always say wild. And then, anyway, I, I drew them up so they're, they're screaming, at, waiting for, are you ready? And they're screaming before I even start the show, whip me dressing gown off and start. And it's um, just to win kids over. And I've got these sparks things that frightens hell out of kids, don't you? Because I hit myself on the table occasionally. And, oh, that. And they laugh, that's not funny, don't you laugh at me or I'll tase you and I've got this spark thing. And I remember in Cooperpedia, the school, I've never mm. forgotten that, when I've got these spark things out, they're on a bash at Cooperpedia. And over a day he stood up and he said, oh, my dad's been tasered. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> you know, so it's taken you literally all over the country, you've performed overseas. Um you know, as a, you still find enjoyment and satisfaction in you know, entertaining after 40 years. So uh, the next question I've got is, what's in store for you next? What does 2024 have in store for you? 
I've got to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm I am skinny for a reason, but anyway, that's everyone's got their little battle. And uh, uh, no, I've just got oh, I've got quite a few shows. I love got a few corporate shows because December I did three corporate shows and that. And it's so good when they keep me a surprise because, you see, bulk of the audience are 40 to 50 or 60, right? They're the ones growing up with. So I'm a surprise, and the whole three of them, when I run in, as a surprise in these big auditorium with 300 people and they don't know I'm coming, it makes me laugh. It gives me a lift like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And I do so many, 30, 40 50, 60, 70 of birthday, private ones. The majority of my shows are private. Yep. That people ring me for. And in Newcastle, if, if listeners, you don't understand. No one understands how cheap I am. You hire a stand up comedian, if you look at them and you don't even know their name, they're three grand. Oh, wow. You can't get that up here at all. For adult shows, for me to come to your home, I do 40-minute shows. I've done a few Bucks parties. Some of them have been a riot. An absolute, oh, some of it. Oh, I've got stories with Bucks parties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, one's a crack-up. Oh, yeah, because I can say that on... It's not like on television. No, you can, if you want to share a story, you're welcome to. Yeah, oh, wow. Bucks parties, I've had a couple of bad ones too, but the good ones that. Because they, you get there, 9 or 10 o'clock, and they're stoned, aren't they? <laughs> one one of the bucks party, it was only oh, six, seven years ago, maximum, up at, up there on a property at, up near Taree. Yeah, right. It was a property owners. They're all, oldish people, but they've got a great, they've got a second house not far from their house, and yep. they rented out for um, guys or anyone those night to come up and have a good time on their property, ride horses, and they feed them. And it's, they're in a house with bedrooms and everything, and they can do whatever they like. They can get drunk because they're out in a property. And, and they book. So this was uh, a Bucks night. And the guy, the guy that booked me was my Bucks father. And there were about, about 20 guys. And Right, I drove in the property at night. No one knows I'm coming. And hid me in the garage. I drive with the costume on anyway. Right, and I I tell them to set them up. Tell the guys, this is how I do Buck's party. To put the buck in the middle of the floor, put him on a chair, and completely blindfold him. (laughs) So he cannot see anything. This is how I do Buck's party. Right? And not a single soul knows I'm coming. Like, there were half a dozen blokes didn't know who I was, right? They're from somewhere else, because it was up at Taree, out the front. So, instead of come running in, yipping or anything, I've actually got a thing I spray, that I spray a tiny bit of perfume on me. <laughs> so I'm in my costume. Yeah. And I, right, it's time to come. It's time creep in the door and they're all looking and I'm going shh with my finger over my mouth, you know, shh. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Because I can't say a word. 
and uh, you'll get it by, I can't say a word in it, you know, and they all start cracking up, especially the ones, because they're pretty pissed. Yeah, yeah. The ones that don't know me, they go, oh, God. And I'm <laughs> don't say my name. Because then I go to the buck in the middle of the room and I go and start brushing his hair and feeling him. He can smell my perfume, so he thinks I'm a woman. <laughs> because they, they all think there's a stripper coming because he's in the middle of the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yep. the other laugh. The, I remember these guys, they, they were sliding off the lounge chair onto the floor. They were paralytically laughing because it makes me laugh and I have to try and not laugh. Yeah. Now, I've got this buck, this buck spoke here, <laughs> and I start feeling him all over, all his hand. Then I, my hands go down to his legs. Yeah. And you sort of see him jump from the hand, went into his groin. Mm. <laughs> he freaking jumped. And by now, the, these other guys are, are laughing their head off because they didn't expect me. And I'm, you know, I'm moving the hand, like caressing him. I'm kissing him on the cheek, <laughs> blowing in his ear. You know, I, I'm so close to him. And then I start playing around a little bit in his thigh. I'm pretty careful not... You can read an audience how far you can go with everything. Yeah. And, and then I sat straddle myself on his knees. But then I noticed one felt just accidentally touched him, like on the groin, and I thought, oh, my God. He's starting to go, get direction. <laughs> starting to bar up, was he? <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't say anything, but you know what I did? Did all the blokes... I, I immediately, like, you know, hey, you get your fist and you go, ooh, ooh, ooh you know, up. <laughs> yeah. I'm pointing to him, I'm going, look, look at this, with my fist. And that, they were paralytically laughing. <laughs> and I said, is this the first time it's ever happened to me? And he, I did look, and I'm pointing to it, and I, and I straddled him. And as I'm straddling, I lift the, lift the blindfold off his head. And he sees me and he goes, ah, and we both fall backwards <laughs> on top of one another in the chair. Was he a good sport about it? Oh, God, yeah. And he knew who I was. He knew exactly who I was. It was his father that got me. <laughs> and the whole Brilliant. family know who I am. Yeah, that's cool. But it was the guest, the other guys. You know, I tried to do a 40-minute magic show after that. It was near impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Because nothing I did could compare to what the laughter. It was so uh, funny. I could have, if I was in the room, I would have been in hysterics. I could tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been amazing. And, and like I've just told you, I tell that in the show sometimes. Yeah. Oh, because it was a crack up. It was the funniest one I've ever. To see paralytically laughing people, you don't get that in normal show. Anyway, that's. Yeah, that's what. Oh, as I said, I do 40. 60, 70, so I've done 100 birthdays, I run in, I do a 40-minute show. And it's very funny, and there can be kids at it. Yep. If there are kids at it, it's even funnier. Because I, there's a couple of certain gags, sight gags, that I don't do if there's kids there, but there's other things I do, and it's really funny for kids. Like private dances? <laughs> yeah, the kids say, I, I say to them now, what do you like better? The kids show the adult ones, and they all go, adult. <laughs> because they see what I do with adults. I don't 
I don't swear I'm at Ocho, which is pretty good too, because um, I've been on stages with stand-up comedians, and I've had women come up, come on stage and see the C word and everything, and I've seen them lose the audience. But anyway, nah, that sounds amazing. So, um, if people wanted to book you or get in touch with you, uh, how do they go about doing that? Website superhubert.com.au and you just Google Superhubert. It's got a phone number and it's got an email. I get most of my shows through email now. Yeah, well, that's how I found you. So, and yeah. what I what I do as well is when the podcast comes out, it's got like a little uh, description, and I'll put in your website link there. So if anyone wants to look you up, you can do that easily. And um, you got a show coming up in Mudgee, you said. In a little while. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a private, another private show. I think that's a seventieth. The owner of the vineyard. Oh, cool. And he'll have people from interstate. Yep. Oh, I did Gordon's sixtieth birthday at his vineyard. He owned the vineyard. He is. He was a lovely man. He on the he used to dress up. He owned a vineyard, and he got his all his friends from Melbourne. And it's you wouldn't think. He was such a straight man, but he dresses up. They all know him at the cricket. They, they're the ones that dress up really well at cricket. That, yep. They've been on television a lot. Unfortunately, and he did the books for Variety, but he going to the Variety office in Sydney and he got run over and killed. Oh, um, but his, he wanted the rabbit trick, which is a kid's trick for all his uh, accountant friends in and his friends in Melbourne, up on the valley, ran in. And I brained his audience because they got no idea who I am. And it was just, oh, I love doing that. But, um, oh, and doing the charity work yeah, in 2017, I got a letter and I got honoured with the Order, Order of Australia medal. Did you really? I didn't. Congratulations. I had no idea. Yeah, and that's, uh, I don't advertise it much at all. But Congratulations. That's, yeah, thank you. But that's not all because of. Just variety of the children's charity. I think I'm up 700 and something shows for them now for free. Um, oh, wow. it, it was all the other charities in this. I could send it to you at about eight pages when it lists, and it's only over a two month period. Gee, you must have, period. Gee, you must have been flat out every day. Wow. Oh, yeah, some Decembers in three weeks, because after Christmas I don't like shows. In three yeah. weeks I'd have 39, 40 shows. Some weekends, I'd have 12 shows. Three yeah. on Friday, four on Saturday, and five on Sunday. Some, how I could, in Newcastle, you could fit them in with 15 minutes in between. Yeah. And like these two, three are three in a row. I haven't got time to go home. Anyway. Yeah, well. And I couldn't work like that now at all. And I don't think my body would like it either. Well, um, I... For one, have enjoyed talking to you today. I um I could literally speak to you for hours, and maybe if you're up for it, we could do another episode later in the year. Maybe. Well, looking at my notes, I have got dozens of things I haven't even mentioned. Yeah. Well, what do you, what would you say later on in the year? Well, in a couple in a month or two, we might be able to sit down and have another chat and share some yeah. more stories and go over some things if you'd be up for it. Oh, Mitch, definitely. Yeah, but depending on your feedback you get, no, don't ever want to hear from him again. <laughs> I promise you, I promise you. Um, oh. And I can announce too that I've recently uh, signed a contract with a, 
US mob called Audio Boom, which are like a podcasting and promotions company. So more people around the world will hear this story. And I know for a fact that lots of my circles of friends in Newcastle uh, are going to be listening. So um, I wanted to say thank you for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, to selflessly give the way you do and, you know, to have been doing it over four decades thus far. And I can just tell from the excitement in your voice that you still genuinely love what you do. I mean, that's that in itself is impressive. And, you know, to your face, yeah, sorry, your, your voice was sort of, you know, you can just tell that you're getting excited as you're telling the stories. Yeah. And, um, and that's exactly what this podcast is about. I do this because I just love having chats with people I admire. And, you know, I, ever since I was a kid, you've made me laugh and, thinking back to all those MBN telethon marathons on TV and the Newcastle show, the show you did at our uh, uh, soccer presentation. And, um, yeah, mate, it's, mm. I'm, so I'm, I'm in my mid-30s and uh, a lot of my younger friends as well know of you and I've seen you as well. So I just want to say thank you. And um, Oh, it's a pleasure. Like tomorrow when I'm in my supercar yep. that I designed it, it's funny when I'm driving that, I feel whole. <laughs> yeah. I just think, this is me, in my supercar, and me, that's why I didn't, out of the Bridgestone back, Bridgestone Commodore, you throw me lollies out. I'm glad I had that idea of having my own car, because I'm driving up the highway, and it's amazing how many cars even pull, up, pull alongside and take photos. And, but I think, in my costume always, but I feel... Uh, I'm like whole. This is me in my costume in my supercar. Yeah, well, it's it's so. Like, I mean, and you've well, and you've earned that. Like you've you've absolutely earned the recognition, and you've you've I, the way I see it, you, you're a part of Newcastle folklore. You really are. Like you've everyone knows Superhibbert. Like you know, you've you have your silly funny shows, and you know, like when I say silly, I mean like you know when you yeah. you know get up and making people laugh. Not the show itself is silly, but you know when you getting people involved and like you're as you're as Newcastle as the Red and Blue Knights you're as, you're as Newcastle as Big Dog or you know Miss Kim as well like so you know like my friend's mum my my friend's mum's in her mid 60s and my friends that I'm still aware of you are teenagers like and it's you know it's, there's countless people as you said you've done 100 year old birthdays 4 year old birthdays you've done yeah a lot of stuff and um you know my friends so my dad i was speaking to you previously my dad uh he's good friends with victor ford who is involved with variety and um he speaks very highly of you and um and when when i when i told when i told him and vicky his wife you were coming on they said oh get ready to laugh because it's going to be awesome so i want to say hello to them because i know they'll be listening but i just wanted to say thank you for your time and well, um, I'll get this out soon and we'll get it edited up and get it distributed and I look forward to catching up with you in a little while. Oh, I've got a lot of other stories that I've done. Oh, oh I'd love to hear them. But before we do go, um, if you're, well, if you could say something to one of the people or countless people that you've entertained over the years who might be from Newcastle or elsewhere, is there anything that you'd like to say to them who might be listening in now? Oh, I thank them, thank them for booking me because most of them are private parties, yeah. like like tomorrow. They're three private. Yeah, thank you for booking me. 
Because the yep. clubs up here don't have as much entertainment. Because I used to be nearly booked out by July, August, for December. Yeah. And they, the clubs don't have any of that. Christmas shows as much as they used to. But I thank everyone for booking me. And I don't think I've ever let an audience down. You know, they've gone away hating me. Because I live my life. What your handout comes back. And I never okay. assume anything, but that's how I live my life. What your handout comes back. That's why I said in the beginning, I've never given anybody the finger in my life. Yep. And I'm never rude to anybody in my life because my father wasn't, and that's how I am. Oh, you don't, yeah, well, with the with the countless charity work you've done and, you know, the selflessness that you are, I wouldn't think you'd have a nasty bone in your body. I know we've never officially met, but I don't get that vibe from you, so I believe that 100%. But, um, yeah, as I said, I want to say thank you for your time, and um, we'll definitely be catching up in the near future. And um, just wanted to say thank you, and we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Mitch. Thanks. Well, I'm oh. bored. Your audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I promise you, they wouldn't be bored. Still the same. <laughs> Thank right. you for your time, and I'll talk hey, to you yeah. soon. Thank you. Bye. All right.